there we go. Live. Wicked. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome to VUX World, The Rundown. I'm your host, as always, Kane Sims, and I'm joined, as always, by Dustin Coates. Dustin, willkommen. <laughs> How's it going, Kane? <laughs> very good, very good. That was my uh, that was my German. That's about the extent of my German. Um, but, uh, yeah, not too bad, not too bad. How's things in Paris? Yeah, they're going okay. Oh, it's a... Uh getting to summer getting to summer uh, i think it's pretty good uh this is i think the now fourth live rundown we've done in a row fourth fifth something uh, uh might be the fourth claire can you remember welcome claire yeah, claire mitchell i believe num- number four yeah this month has flown by it has we've been on a bit of a roll it's it's the most consecutive rundowns that we've ever done dustin do you know that it's a trend now it's a trend. <laughs> We're trending. Here we are. And uh, yeah, welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome everyone who's joining. So this is the VUX World Show, The Rundown, where we go through this week's top conversational AI stories, voice stories, and we digest it, translate it, uh, turn it into some kind of practical uh, application for you people working in the industry, or just make you aware of what's going on if you are a fan of the space. And uh, yeah, as always, there's me, Dustin and Claire. And yeah. Uh, We'll get started. So where do you want to start? Claire, where should we, where should we kick off? I think um, Dustin posted an interesting story around subvocal recognition and the idea of uh, being able to um, sort of uh, silently say something and the uh, vibrations or muscle activity in your um, throat being picked up and translated into text. Does that sort of, does that capture it, Dustin? I think so. Uh, there's no practical application for this from 99% of the people listening. Uh, and, <laughs> and so if this is really just something that is is very interesting. I thought something that I hadn't come across before. I'm not even sure how I came across it in this point. But uh, it's very interesting. The only thing is before people get too excited is that right now it has to be the electrodes that they apply so this is useful for things they're mentioning in the Wikipedia article, at least people like astronauts, for example, uh, uh, underwater Navy SEALs, fighter pilots, etc. This is useful for them. But the problem is they apply electrodes to your neck and these electrodes have to be placed exactly in the right place. So this isn't something that you can expect in the next couple of years to come around and you're going to be able to have access to. But uh, still interesting. So Kane, there was actually. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say so, but before we oh, before we kind of um, comment, so let me just understand that understand this right. So essentially, what it is is that the vibrations that you make in your throat when you speak are able to be detected from your throat and then translated into what you're actually saying. So if you're in a situation where like underwater, as you mentioned, the vibrations presumably are still the same. And so they can then work out from that what it is you're trying to say. Is that how it works? I'm not sure it's exactly vibrations because you're not, you're not opening your mouth. You're not actually making a sound. So I'm not sure entirely how it's working. I think if we like, maybe the people listening to this can maybe try and speak without moving their mouth or making a sound and then see what that feels like on their neck. But it, yeah, it's essentially listening to some sort of signal, some sort of non-oral signal that's coming through via 
via these electrodes. So probably not vibration since it is these electrodes, but I, I I'm not that they kind call of person. Electromyography. Um, so they're reading electrical signals that are uh, that are created when you uh, contract a muscle. And so this has also been used in um, detecting muscle contraction in your arm to sort of control various things. There was a, a product called Mayo a couple of years ago that was intended for gaming or controlling drones by just contracting the muscle in your arm. I think that they're using something similar here um, where it's just reading the electrical signals that are produced when um, your muscle contracts. And that, uh, I guess, can potentially be mapped to um, speech for, for different words based on um, you sort of mimicking that um, um, verbal uh, movement without opening your mouth. And there was a project out of MIT a couple of years ago, um, I think they called it Alter Ego, where they were trying to use this for a more practical application in like a wearable that you would wear around your neck. And so you could be in public and um, speak with your computer, your mobile device, presumably, um, without actually having to uh, talk. So you could imagine applications where you wouldn't want people to be able to read your lips or if you want to, um, if it needs to be like a more silent way of communicating, but you also don't want to take out your phone. Um, so there was, I think, a video produced sort of a speculative design around how this could be used. And it was pretty interesting. So it's almost like, so that would be applicable for the use cases where, so we've spoke about this, we spoke about, spoke about all the time on the podcast in terms of where voice might play a role outside of the home and how, you know, there needs to be a degree first of, of confidence in the technology working for it to be used widely outside of the home. And then secondly, confidence in users speaking out loud in public those two things need to kind of go together, don't they? I need to be confident enough to have a queue of people behind me in the train station and say, get me a ticket to London out loud verbally to a machine. And I also need to have the confidence in the machine being able to understand me and fulfill my kind of request. And so we spoke last week about how the kind of COVID period, the lockdown period is giving people confidence. We Everyone's using smart speakers more. They're using kind of their voice to interact with technology more. It's giving people confidence. And will we see that then extend outside of the home? But this kind of technology, although it's in its early kind of stages, seemingly might help bridge that kind of gap where, you know, if you're on the tube or you're on the bus or you're in a kind of public space where you might not have the, for some people might not have the confidence to just bark out a command loud, you still might be able to communicate with the technology in your pocket in an alternative means is that where you can kind of see this being this kind of technology being applicable yeah or anywhere that you yeah anywhere that you wouldn't want um to speak out loud but still want to communicate with your computer your mobile phone and you don't want to take it out um it, it seems like it could also lead to more ambient computing experiences um, so that you're actually not taking out a device or talking to a device. You're just speaking internally and making the lights turn on. Um, so certainly interesting to think about some of those potential applications. I, I agree with Dustin. I don't think that it's right around the corner, but um, interesting nonetheless. I think there's some parallels to some of the thinking that's gone into um, EEG readers and how uh, brain activity could be mapped to certain commands and you could sort of think commands and have um, some sort of output. Uh, 
this seems somewhat similar, but potentially more reliable because there may be more um, reliability in uh, the mapping of like a, an internal verbal command versus trying to get at those that EEG data. It's a little bit like what kind of Elon Musk was speaking about. Like it's not it's not as far as that, but have you seen it? The the kind of like implants he's talking about, where essentially you would kind of like put this implant into your brain, and then it will like give you like an extent basically like it's like putting your phone in your brain basically, uh, and connecting it up to certain parts of your brain so that it can kind of like you can communicate with it while business while it's in your brain i can't remember what it's called now but the the, the the on about doing trials fairly kind of soon which is like that's almost like one step further um but yeah it's along them kind of lines isn't it yeah, less invasive, which is less invasive. Promising. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that was deep. That was a deep first story. That we usually don't get that deep until we've kind of been talking for about half an hour. But that was a uh, that was fairly that was fairly deep. Um, yeah. So, any anyway, thank you for joining. By the way, boys and girls, if you are uh, joining us, and feel free to add any comments or any questions that you have for for us. Uh, stick them in there, and we'll we'll do our best to answer them. Either topics about this week's news or general any any general questions that you might have. Really, we'll we'll uh, do our very best. Um, so, in other news, Google Home apparently is gonna be no more. Dustin, did you come? Did you see that this today or yesterday? I saw it and I saw the headline and then I saw the article and I don't think, I think the headline is overselling it a little bit. So going a little bit more in depth in what this means is the original Google Home, the device itself um, is sold out on Google Store, the official Google Store. You can no longer buy the original device. I believe you can still buy the Google Home Mini. And in fact, uh, there was another article which I saw via UK, and I think you commented on someone's, that they are giving away Google Home Minis. Um, and I found that I'm actually eligible for one, uh, so I'm going to definitely claim one of those. But the the assumption, at least in the article, and would be interesting, getting the two of your thoughts as well, is the, the Google Home device itself has been around for three, three and a half years at this point. It's been a while and there hasn't been a refresh. There's certainly been the Google Home Max. It's been the Nest Home Hub. There's been all these other different devices, but the original has not had an update. Oh, whereas the Echo, you're not getting the original Echo anymore. You're now getting uh, the Echo Packs or you're, you might be getting something else. So the idea here is that with IO should have happened around this time, uh, was perhaps that they were going to announce a new device there. What was your read on it, Claire? What was your read on it, Kane? It sounds like there's a, um, a focus on, um, at least from a, a, well, both a branding and a functionality perspective, creating a cohesive ecosystem um, that works together and uh, reinforcing this idea of ambient computing where the assistant is the center rather than um, the speaker, hence um, calling everything by a nest uh, by the nest brand um and i think so it's partially a functionality thing but it seems like it's also partially a perception uh, um, approach to helping people think about this ecosystem of capabilities and devices that fall under the same umbrella mm. it's um i think you're right dustin that the headline is a little bit kind of sensational um and it could be there could be very a very 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 simple explanation which is that 
they just sold out of devices <laughs> and it's no longer available. Another another explanation might be that, you know, they renamed the Home Hub, which is the one with the screen, to the Nest Hub. Um, have they already renamed? They've already renamed the Mini, haven't they, to the Nest Mini, not the Home Mini. I think they've already renamed the, the small one to the Nest Google Nest Mini. And so another theory is that they are rebranding the current speaker as it is under the Nest brand because that seems to be what they're doing as you were saying Claire um, because Google already acquired the Nest brand a while ago that runs all the kind of like thermostats and, and all that kind of stuff and, and aligning the smart speakers with the smart home means that Google can position itself in terms of its physical headless devices as being a kind of smart home sort of system uh, so it may be that it's being rebranded to to Nest, or it might be, as you say, Justin. Yeah, maybe they're giving it a, a an upgrade, the the releasing a slightly different version of it, um, or they're, they're ceasing to to do it. But I, I feel I think the the latter one is the least uh, likely, because if you look at what they've done with you know all the devices, they're trying to capture any space in the home as well as any space outside of the home. So obviously they've got the Android phones, which are on people's person all the time, 99% of the day they're with you. The uh, Pixel Buds, which uh, were announced before Christmas or just after Christmas, uh, so that they can be in your ear, even when you don't have your phone in your hand. The Android Auto with Google Assistant running on it in the car. Uh, the Google uh, Nest Mini, so for those that just need something little in the bedroom. The... Um, the Nest Hub, the small screen and the big screens. And so those the small screen doesn't have that good audio in the article. It said that the, the, they've got better audio, but the small screen has got terrible audio. I don't know what the big one's like. But there's a space, I think, in there for a device without a screen that's got a decent sound from Google. And so I'll be confident that they will, they will be releasing a very, very similar thing, but maybe with a different brand. Yeah. What do you two think of the rebranding to Nest? I'll let you go, Claire, first. <laughs> I, I just, uh, I'm sort of excited to um, see how they lean into the, this idea of ambient computing where um, every where it really is an ecosystem, as I was mentioning. I think um, the Nest obviously has a, a legacy of meaning to people, starting with the thermostat, um, but it does seem to all be coalescing into this more um, broader idea of what a smart home can be. I think I think that's the the last, the last part there is is hitting the nail on the head. Is the, it's a smart home thing, you know. When if you think about um, the beyond work, so the workplaces, I think is a different beast. And, and Google and, and Microsoft and everyone is kind of trying to do something in that space. But and we'll maybe we'll talk about Cortana in a sec. But workplace house, workplace aside. I think that there's there is a few environments that have been previously unconquered by technology or by companies. A few environments where your attention is available. And if your attention is available, then for Google, there's advertising potential. For Amazon, there's sales potential. For any other organization in the world that relies on reaching people, either with content or with services, <clears throat> then there are more opportunities to reach more people. And those those spaces are in the car, because otherwise you'd just be listening to the radio, very passive kind of experience, can't do anything with it apart from just sit and listen. When you're outside of the home and not using a screen, walking the dog, headphones in, listening to podcasts, again, very passive experience. 
And when you're just generally milling around the house, you know, when you're not actively doing something, the telly might be on in the background, but you're not actively doing anything. And so those three spaces, the ears or the body rather, the car and the home are three kind of new battlegrounds as far as I can see with with the big technology companies and as and that's, I think that's why you see Google giving away smart speakers <clears throat> you know I think is it YouTube music Dustin if you get a subscription with YouTube music you get a free mini now is it something like that yeah YouTube music <clears throat> Google Play music uh yeah, yeah one of those services that's yeah. where it's coming from yeah and so and they've done that with spotify you know last year get a spotify subscription get a free google uh google home mini <clears throat> or nest mini and that's how they've managed to claim market share but it's not ju- i think so it's not just the market share as, as a you know as a rival to amazon what i think is happening is that there is a bigger um a bigger thing going on which is that google are trying to kind of get ownership over people's home ownership over the the time that you spend in all of your different rooms and owning that kind of attention as well as the car as well as the earphones and so the the brand rebranding to nest i find it as a um a statement from google that we think the home is really important and we want to be the brand that owns everything you do in your home, all the activities that you have around your home, from controlling the appliances and things around you to accessing information from anywhere to being productive or whatever it is that you need. And so that's kind of my read on it, is that it's a, it's a statement to say, we're going to own the home. What do you think, Dustin? So I sort of asked this question uh, because I just love giving this this opinion. I think it's the silliest re- rebranding of uh, <laughs> like the Google the Google brand uh, has a much better equity than the Nest brand. I will buy each of you a drink if you can name three Nest products. That's not a smart speaker. Thermostat. That's the only one I can think of. <laughs> Do they have a Wi Fi router? I don't Is think that- uh, Nest does. Doesn't it? Google does. Uh, smoke detector. Yep, the smoke detector is the second one, which everyone <laughs> hates the smoke detector is what I heard. Third one? Third one? Cameras. Uh, yeah, potentially a camera. Um, Claire, I, 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 we'll, we'll go with that one. I, I'll buy you a drink next time. <laughs> okay. um, yeah. Um, I just... I just don't understand it. It's actually a little funny. I smiled a little bit when you were talking about all of the different places that Assistant was on uh, earlier, Kane, because you mentioned so many brands. You mentioned Google. You mentioned Nest. You mentioned Android. You mentioned Pixel. You mentioned all of these different brands. And there's not this cohesion there. The one thing that I could potentially see Google doing, which would be a little smarter, um, I think. I think honestly, probably the honest answer is Google is a huge company. It has a lot of different teams working on the same thing, as you see with Hangouts and Allo and, and all of these things. If there's a strategy there, it might be the strategy of the, the Pixel strategy which is Google isn't a hardware company. Google builds hardware sometimes to show what the hardware can do, but it's not a hardware company. And so perhaps the strategy is, okay, we'll we'll move it over to the Nest brand, which is now the Google brand equity, to show that it's not the Google Home and Google Assistant in just this one package. It's the Google Assistant on the Nest Hub. It's the Google Assistant on the Sonos whatever. I think that strategy would be a lot stronger if we saw the assistant being on a lot more devices, which which it is on more and more devices, but nothing compared to what you're seeing, where you're seeing Alexa. So perhaps this, this is a strategy, but I, 
I just think it's confusing for people outside of this tech bubble who might have a Nest thermostat already. I don't think there's anyone going, oh, Nest, yeah, like I wasn't going to buy it, but like, yeah, now I'm going to buy it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good I, point. I would imagine that the Google Assistant is um, the cohesive element across and and they'll probably lean into more of that. Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine so. I think you're right. It's like when when it when it was first sort of announced a while back, uh, there was like a little mini sort of revolt, wasn't there? Do you remember like within the sort of like the voice sort of circle, there was kind of a little mini sort of like, I wouldn't call it a backlash. It wasn't really a verbal backlash, but everyone you kind of spoke to was like, I'm not calling it a nest. It's a Google home. <laughs> but uh, but maybe that's, maybe you're right. Maybe they're trying to kind of bring some of the nest customers that they already have, which is probably millions into the Google assistant ecosystem a little bit. Possibly. Mm. Uh, but there is some more Google news, so maybe a little bit more interesting Google news, which is the beta voice match for purchases. Who added this one? Yeah, that was me. Um, so I've been getting a lot of questions lately about security and verification and, you know, how do these, how can we transact on these devices? You know, if you're uh, any kind of financial institution and you've come and you've done any kind of experimentation with, with Google Assistant or Amazon Alexa, then you'll know that the transactional side of things, not in the US, it's it's relaxed in the US, you'll notice Capital One and, and places like that have been doing some interesting stuff in the eu it's a lot more locked down so you can't really do transactional um transactions essentially on those devices uh, and so what the, the the conversation that you always get into with anyone that works anywhere close to finance is security what about security how do we know it's the right kind of person how do we know you know if we're going to sell alcohol to them over uh, amazon alexa or google assistant how do we know that they're of the appropriate age you know and all that kind of stuff and so this is a very small bit of news, really, but I think it's interesting to put it in a broader context. So what Google have, have announced and released a few, in fact, it might even be a while back because um, I know that when my wife has tried to use the Google uh, Home Hub or Nest Hub as it now is downstairs, um, it hasn't let her do it because it didn't recognize her voice. And so they've had the technology to differentiate voices for a while. And the the recent voice match essentially is taking that one step further. So you can essentially match your voice to your Google profile so that when you're interacting with Google Assistant, it knows that it's you by the sound of your voice and therefore it can personalize experiences. And Apple have got a patent which is doing very similar stuff. Amazon Alexa have got the voice profile so they can do the same kind of thing. None of them have got to the point of saying, we trust this enough for us to be able to let you transact. But that's essentially what Google have have opened the slightly opened the door on this week is a beta for voice uh, matching for making purchases. And so now you um, it's, again, it's in beta. I've not, I haven't seen any use cases coming from it, but uh, essentially you can authenticate that it is you, the account holder, just by the sound of your voice to enable transactions on on Google Assistant. That's the direction that it looks like it's heading in. What do you what do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, important to. Important to note as well that it's only digital purchases in restaurants at the moment. Yes. Uh, which digital purchases is an interesting one because that's easy enough to refund. Although I don't know really the Google refund policy on digital purchases at the moment. Uh, restaurants makes a lot more sense because uh, certainly you don't want to get deliveries for on someone else's credit card. But there are those constraints at the moment. Claire, what do you think of this one? It would be interesting to know what sort of like two-level, um, two-factor 
authentication plans there are for something like this? Is it um, voice plus it's got to be on um, a specific device probably, um, but are there other sorts of two-factor authentication that might be um, uh, a choice for people to enable so that, you know, it would be less likely to be abused? Um, but I, I think it's really interesting to imagine that extra layer of convenience um, it's from one of the other articles, there was speculation that uh, the next device to come out of the Nest community, the Nest smart speakers, would likely have uh, more memory and um, better processing power locally. So it'll be interesting to know how voice match is treated um, locally versus in the cloud and that sort of thing to add security. Oh, that that actually does remind me. It's not a story that we listed down here, but did either of you see this tweet that uh, I think was quite popular this week comparing iOS uh, speech transcription to Pixel speech transcription? Either of you see this? Uh, so, so actually a coworker sent it to me uh, and he was like, wow, this is really impressive. This is the big things I miss about having a pixel. Uh, we talked about this before, okay, and this on-device uh, speech text that Google has on their pixel devices. And so what you saw was on the Apple device, there was a lag in the speech transcription. On the pixel device, no lag at all. It was happening immediately. And it was just completely just amazing to to see that difference and that difference that it makes as well because you're not speaking and then actually having to like go back in time to look at what the transcription did and is that the right one um it's, it's just happening all at once so you can you can make changes on the fly this is really interesting for transcription certainly but also for interacts like they showed at io 2019 uh, last year where this uh, allows for faster interactions because a lot of this is happening on the device uh, we talked about this as well before kane but one of the things that i use most often and this uh, i think is usually used for accessibility but I use it as well for live transcriptions as well. So there's a transcribe app uh, on Android at least. I think there probably is one on iOS as well. Powered by Google, you can set it in front of someone or you can have it you know, in front of your computer if someone's speaking and it will transcribe it live. So these types of things, the, the on-device thing that you're mentioning can have a big impact for usability, for accessibility, and just for, for the enjoyment of the use. Mm. That's that's interesting. That's one of the things I think that is um, that was on the the forecasted potential new features that might be in the new Nest Google Nest Home or whatever it's going to call it is is the on is yeah, is the on device thing, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. What do you think that two factor two? You mentioned there, Claire, two factor authentication for voice matching and um, how would that kind of work? Would, would voice matching be enough to authenticate that someone is who they say they are um, and then authorise them to make transactions? What do you think that two-factor authentication might look like in a voice kind of environment? Because usually on a mobile, you don't have to switch devices, do you? Have you got any thoughts or any ideas on how that might work in a voice environment or do you think that you'll always need, you'll always need to switch device? Well... Um, I'm, I haven't thought a lot about it, but I think early days when people are a little bit more uh, wary of using their voice just because they don't trust the technology yet, they're not sure if it's um, foolproof, 
it might be something like, well, obviously you can only do voice match on your own device, a device that's on your own account. You can't go to somebody else's house. That makes a lot of sense. But perhaps um, you also get a text message to say, did you really want to make this purchase? Confirm. Um, and that could be another way of, of getting around it. Obviously adds a little bit of friction, but it could be a way of um, continuing to gather that um, vocal ID information to better the model that can strengthen identification while ensuring trust is also built. What do you think? Well, if we, if we think about the different factors, uh, I don't know, everyone listening knows that multiple factor authentication isn't simply multiple pieces of information that you have to share, but there's actually these um, categories. It's what you have, what you are, what you know, and then there's can be a fourth one, but I'm not sure. I don't remember exactly what it is, maybe where you are. And so one thought could be, you know, maybe there's a fingerprint reader, but that's not a true second factor because that's that's more of who you are. Um, not, to, not to say it couldn't be interesting. Pin, uh, pin codes are certainly a useful one. Uh, you know, you have that on, the, uh, on Alexa where you're using pin codes. That could be a true two factor. Uh, what you have, that could indeed be your phone. I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure if that's something that is going to be going to be done or people will think that that one factor of voice is going to be enough. It could also be, I don't know how realistic this is, but a, a passphrase so that to confirm a purchase, you can say a passphrase out loud and maybe part of it contains your, your um, password so that it's not totally apparent to other people who might be listening. Um, so combined with your voice, this series of words that you've specified to confirm a purchase. I don't know. Oh, what if, what if instead, I have an idea. What if instead, <laughs> uh, it's like those spy movies where they give a little knock and then you have to finish the knock. Well, what if, what yeah. if that, I think that could be good. Yeah, that could be good. Start a jingle and then you need to finish the jingle. Exactly. <laughs> That's good. It's interesting. Um, half, of, I think, half of the the battle is is kind of matching the matching the voice with the account, and then valid validating that the the creator of the account is the owner is is the person who they say they are. So, for example, if you if you um, if you wanted to pl- apply for the power of attorney, let's say you've got like a really old relative and it's your mom or your dad or whoever, and you want to apply for a power of attorney, which is the ability to be able to make like financial decisions and important decisions on their behalf. Or if you want to, um, uh, maybe it's a taxi car might be a, the wrong way of going about it, but apply for a state benefit for argument's sake. There are certain things that you need to do where you need to prove who you are. And usually it's like, send us a copy of your address or, you know, read us the last few digits, no, not the bank statements. It's usually things like that. Provide us a bank statement, provide us an address, etc. And so, so the first name of your pet. Or yeah, the well, name of your first pet. <laughs> yeah, well, that's more what you. That's more the things that you create on your own account, isn't it? But it won't tell you that you are who you say you are, kind of thing. And so, the, the, there's loads of like verification services, like Expedia have got one, the post office have got one, and you can use that to verify that you are who you say you are. So then you can do things like claim state benefits, apply for passports, whatever. So, 
what was missing because it's only a Google account and anyone could create a Google account. It's like having a social media account or anyone could create an Amazon account. It's got nothing to do with who you are. It's an email address. And if you want to put your phone number in there, you can do, but it doesn't actually tie anything to your ID. Do you know what I mean? And so I think what the missing step is, is the verification on Google and Amazon side to verify who you are when you create the account, not when you're interacting on the voice platform. So the verification happens over here, uh, but then this turns them into not just a retailer or someone they can have an account with. It's something that you need to have. Basically, you need to have it. Basically, like they, well, they will have a, a version of your digital ID, which would be like giving them your passport. But then, if they can verify who you are and how old you are and all of that kind of stuff, and if the voice matching is good enough to really identify that this voice belongs to this account, then two-factor two authentication wouldn't be an issue. But that's a huge, 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 huge if, because even the government can't get digital ID verification right or smooth at the moment. And so... Well, it's such an interesting model that you proposed because um, just to sort of think another model, what would it look for um, the individual to carry their digital ID with them? And obviously voice is um, specific to a person. So that actually might be a start to ownership of... of and biometrics in general as ownership of identification. Mm. Oh, deep. We are getting deep. This is good. Good stuff. Um, so moving on, um, where should we head to next? We've got some updates on the Microsoft front. We kind of mentioned the workplace being an interesting uh, or untapped area of uh, people's lives where these big tech giants are trying to get to and, and an area where we kind of want to be more productive. The amount of times, you know, I mentioned it before, the amount of times that's spent typing emails is unbelievable. Um, and you mentioned dictating quite a lot, Dustin. I tend to try and dictate as often as I can because it just it's just far, far quicker. And, and um, you know, searching for different ways of, of, you know, streamlining tasks and things like that. And Cortana, um, after kind of having a bit of a foray into the consumer space has then kind of, I would, I want to say, I don't want to say retreated because it doesn't, it's not necessarily a retreat, but it's more of a reposition into the workplace. Um, and we've kind of been wondering what that's going to look like, uh, and what form it will take given that they stopped third party app development. Uh, a couple of weeks back, but they've introduced uh, Cortana as a chatbot within Office 365 and uh, has some new kind of workflow capabilities. Uh, so you can use it in chat form. Don't have to speak to it. You can use it in chat form and you can use it to do things like check your schedule, get your emails, you know, tasks, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's almost like a, a re re reincarnation of Cortana is that the right way of saying it <laughs> or reposition or enhancement of Cortana anyway what, what, what do you what do you think uh, about that I think the focus on um, productivity tools and task and time management in this moment is is uh, pretty smart I think I mentioned it last week maybe not but it does seem that because we're all working remotely um, there's a potential to accelerate this idea of voice used in our workflows because we're not all in these open office plans. We can um, speak freely. Uh, and I know that for myself, a lot of time is spent here and there opening, searching for a file, opening it up, closing it because I'm on to a next thing and then I have to search for it again. So if I were able to surface some of those things easily through voice, I think it would 
increased my productivity quite a bit. Um, obviously doing that in the privacy of my home office makes a lot more sense than in a um, bigger office. So I do think that this moment is accelerating those types of voice and workflow activities. How about you, Dustin? I'm not sure. I'm not too sure, but Kane, I, I know you use Outlook for iOS, don't you? I do, yeah. So have you have you tried out this play my emails feature, which I, I don't think we actually introduced the feature. Uh, play my emails is uh, essentially allowing uh, sort of what it sounds like. It's playing your emails. It's speaking them out to you and you can control by a voice. I think you can uh, accept or decline uh, calendar invitations. You, you can join a Microsoft Teams meeting as well. Have you tried this out yet? Uh, I haven't because I use Outlook for iOS on my iPad and not on my MacBook or phone. And so I very rarely use my iPad for emails. And so I haven't actually got around to trying that yet, but I will do. And I think that sounds like a good idea because um, Apple Mail is terrible, <laughs> quite honestly. <laughs> It seems like Google is well, well. Google is very well positioned to um, bring Assistant into the workflow ecosystem. What do, you, what do you guys think about that? Would you use it? I think I would. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I would. I'll kind of use. I'm, I'm. I'm interested in trying them. To be honest, because I've tried to use Siri. So outside of the mobile kind of situation, I think that you know when you mentioned there, Dustin Outlook for iOS, I think that. I'm far more likely to use that stuff because it's on a mobile and I'm kind of already used to using my voice on mobile because that's where I use it most. Um, on the desktop and on my laptop, the thing that I struggle with is maybe it's just because of the the situation with the... Com I know this one's pretty slow. My MacBook's fine. But I tend to find that there is a bit too much of a delay in opening Siri so if I press, there's, there's even, even a little Siri button on it and on the on the um, touch bar on the MacBook Pro. Click click that and it comes up. And it's not rapid, rapid. It takes a couple of seconds sometimes. And even that delay, I feel as though it holds me back because in the time it's spent opening, I could have already been kind of halfway through the journey of clicking. And so what I'd be interested in finding out is either this Google solution or the, the, app, the Microsoft Cortana bot is how quick it is because what we always say is that voice is quicker and all that kind of stuff and it kind of is if you were you know if, you, if I'm typing uh, which I was doing I was doing this today typing had a question I asked Google Assistant get the answer don't have to switch tasks don't have to get my brain into a different mode I can just do it in at the same time um, but I think where I found with Siri on I on the OS X is that it's a little bit too slow to get going and it's a bit too slow to kick in. So I'd be interested in in how fast these things are because uh, yeah, for me, you know, that's 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 the value. It needs to be fast, you know. Do you find that you accidentally hit that button often? Yeah, probably one in every every one in every <laughs> yeah. ten times my hand hits the keyboard. Yeah, same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry is another article about workplaces of sorts. And we, we have about 15 minutes. So I want to make sure we get this one because I find it very interesting. Uh, even though it wasn't the article that I had, and maybe it came from you, Claire, about Datch. Was this yours, Claire? Yeah, it sounds like Datch has just uh, been awarded $3.2 in funding for um, a voice application meant for enterprise. And I think it's intended primarily for factory workers to be able to 
log information about what they're working on in real time using um, natural language. So I don't know if it's a headset or um, maybe a, a mobile device that they're carrying around, but rather than having to um, touch various things, fill out forms, um, the idea is that they can just speak about what they're working on, what they're seeing, they're uh, logging, what their activities are, and um, go from there. And I think it has some image recognition capabilities as well. So pairing voice with image recognition to um, be more productive. Mm. What do you think of this one, Ken? Yeah, I think I think it's it's useful. It's it's a, it's it sounds a little bit like Allen AI. I don't know if you've come across Allen AI, um, but it's kind of the technology. Well, the technology might not be the same, but the application of it kind of is, which is kind of like helping workers during the day. Um, you know, do the things that they need to do that are like admin sort of tasks or recording things um, and almost like making that a little bit easier. In fact, next Friday, um, not the, not tomorrow, but next Friday, we're speaking to Lab Voice, uh, which will be live on LinkedIn as well, which is that's kind of what they've done in the labs, in the science labs, doing this stuff for scientists. So helping scientists minimize admin time and maximize product like productive work time essentially and that's what alan ai is doing in the oil kind of industry helping all of the kind of inspectors that go out and they assess kind of either on oil rigs or in kind of like fields where there's not necessarily fracking but you know that kind of stuff going on uh doing assessments and they, they need to do admin um and it's just making that process a lot slicker i mean a lot of the work that i've done over the last kind of five years has been with people that work out in the field you know they're inspectors you know you know doing various on-site visits whether it's like planning inspecting buildings or food people inspecting restaurants and things like that and the amount of admin that people do is absolutely unbelievable you know same for doctors and things like that you know they, they spend probably um I would say in some cases that I've seen, I've seen people that spend probably 50% of their working time doing paperwork and the other 50% doing actual, you know, productive work that they should be doing. And they've all got backlogs. They've all got work that they can't get to because they're too busy with admin, you know what I mean? And so it's stuff like this, I think, is 100% the key. You know, I think that this kind of technology is, is you know, it's, it's in its real infancy, but the potential for workplace productivity gains and cost savings is absolutely yeah. huge. I really like the way they phrased it. In part of the article, they said um, it enables workers to the freedom to give... Uh, to conversationally capture their knowledge as soon as it's generated. And I think that that's an important piece of it too, because as you're saying, there's like a backlog of trying to trying to, trying to um, document all of this information and there's been a time lag. So some of that information isn't as fresh. And if you can do it in the moment that you are making an analysis, um, it seems like that could be really rich as well. Mm. What do you think, Dustin? Yeah, I thought it was great. I, one of the things that I keep coming back to over and over, and we've sort of had conversations about this before, like pre, um, pre rundown when we're just chatting is sometimes I think about just leaving the white collar world and, and, and leaving that all behind working with my hands, something like that. Uh, and so this technology, I think it's always, I, I think it's great technology, obviously, uh, voice, you know, you machine learning and, I don't think it would be useful just to keep that for for people who are working in Outlook, for example. I think if this can improve people's work, improve people's lives outside of that, that's always exciting to see. 
of course, I don't work in that field, so I can't really speak to how useful this is. And I don't want to say, oh, yeah, you should definitely do voice if these people really don't want to. But if this can indeed improve that work, it shouldn't be kept to just the white collar workers. I think this can improve other fields as well. That's quite interesting and quite useful. Mm, I think that's where a lot of the gains are. Half half of the battle. I mean, it's 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 not just the the voice technology. It's often any kind of technology. You know, I've kind of implemented sort of like mobile working solutions. You know, tablets and and you know apps on running on Android tablets that you go and use to essentially capture the information in the field rather than coming back to the office and doing it there. And so you know that kind of. It's even something like that that you would think is fairly straightforward. There is a section of of people that don't like it, and it's the typical resistance to change. You know, it's kind of like uh, people have their daily habits, their daily work habits, and they see this as like machines taking over, and you know, it's uh, you know, I don't need this technology kind of thing. <clears throat> so there's always people like that. There's always people that that are you know a little bit resistant um, to change and things like that. And, you know, this technology will will face that as it starts to kind of enter into those areas that are not the kind of white collar sort of jobs as it starts to enter there, it'll 100% get resistance. It'll get the same kind of flack that it's the consumer devices have got. You know, the consumer devices have got the flack, which is, oh, what about the security? What about privacy? You know, stop listening to my conversations and sending it to contractors. And the enterprise, I think, will go through the same kind of thing. You know, I don't want to use it. Uh, it's, it's unreliable. It's a load of rubbish. And they'll have the same kind of critiques that apps have and the mobile has. But ultimately, I think the net benefit of being able to do something quickly, reduce your admin time, is better. You know, and I think that the, the interface itself, people, I think, will probably enjoy more than tapping away on, on a tablet, especially for those kind of manual workers where you know have big protective screens on tablets trying to tap away on it it's just not not helpful or fun at all and actually probably slow them right in um so yeah yeah absolutely i think there's going to be huge 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 gains on the enterprise and on the, on the physical work front um over the next over the next three three years or so yeah okay any questions from the audience not so far. No, everyone's been quiet. I mean, they, were, they, they couldn't have been more active uh, last week right. when we spoke to uh, Bob Moore from IBM. It's, uh, it was it was going crazy. But yeah, no questions so far. If you do have some questions, uh, feel free feel free to uh, stick it in the comments. Any thoughts on what we've been discussing so far? You know, feel free uh, drop it down there in the comments, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll uh, respond to it. And uh, yeah, yeah. So. Any, any, what's, what's the next thing? We've got a couple of minutes left. What's, what's the uh, next on the list? I guess in the, in the context of enterprise uh, technology leading to more consumer-based technology, we've talked a little bit before about um, maybe heads-up displays that use voice. Um, Apple has maybe releasing smart glasses that uh, will be, make 2020 the year of AR or maybe 2021. I don't know. Um, but interesting to think about the um, new hardware coming out of uh, Apple and, and augmentation of senses generally. We've, we talked about hearables last week is not only providing us audio content, but potentially enhancing our capability of hearing um, amplification, whatnot. And uh, here we have a story about amplification of um, visual with potentially accompaniment of voice interface. Hmm. What do you all think about that? I think so. For for those for those of you that are really like keen on the um, 
the whole kind of Apple front, I know that Apple has quite a lot of fans that, that kind of uh, pay real close attention to what's going on. And um, you might have already seen that it was kind of, there was a story a few years back about the potential of them doing glasses and things like that. But there's a guy called John Prosser. Uh, he's got a YouTube channel called FPT. I forget what it stands for, but it's something to do with technology. And he apparently is like a serial Apple leaker. I've never actually come across him before, but uh, apparently he he does this on a regular basis, leak Apple stories, and uh, so much so that apparently Apple have actually got in touch with him and said, you know, where the hell are you getting this stuff from? Do you want to stop? Uh, (laughs) But yeah, apparently, apparently Apple are definitely releasing the Apple Glass, which is glasses essentially smart glasses and we've touched a little bit on the Bose glasses uh, either last week or the week before obviously Google have released glass uh, in the past which didn't particularly seem to go down too well Um, and so it's an interesting concept of people trying glasses Uh, but interestingly what I thought was interesting about this is that there wasn't any mention whatsoever of Siri it was all with an AR kind of focus with an AR lens if you uh, excuse the uh, the old pun there you know because you get lensing glasses and things like that I have to to explain my my jokes these days I'm getting (laughs) dad jokes I've got a son now so it's it's all about the dad jokes for me these days Um, so yeah but but it's it's interesting so so the one one thing is my question was why there was no mention of Siri and whether Siri would be an, uh, a kind of like a sensible interface for Apple's glasses uh, or whether or not AR, augmented reality kind of thing is uh, is the uh, the future, if you like, for Apple. And then secondly, just to get your kind of thoughts on, you know, we've spoke about hearables and, and, and things like that. We've spoke about uh, earphones and stuff. What your thoughts are on glasses and, and whether you see a potential future for these devices being more mainstream and the potential for voice within them. What do you think, Dustin? You've always got some so pretty good opinions. You've also you've also always got uh, some me, good opinions me. on Apple. I like hearing your, uh, I, your I opinions mean, on this. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's certainly interesting because here's what Apple does, right? Apple is a late late follower, um, and then it comes in and they they invent they invent the new technology, so to, <laughs> to speak. Um, it's not something that I'm interested in. I spent way too much money on LASIK to ever wear glasses regularly again. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, it could be interesting. It's certainly. After our rundown last week, I did look into the Bose uh, glasses. I'm not going to end up purchasing them, but I, I looked into them. They're so fun. <laughs> are, they, are they better like than ear, are they better than earbuds? Though I guess is what is a question that I had in mind. No. <laughs> okay. So same price as earbuds. Uh, it's more of a toy. Better. Okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, I'll spend money on toys. But <laughs> overall, I don't think glasses are quite interesting to me. Although I came this close to buying Google Glass a few years ago, because that actually did seem interesting at the moment. I think I'm just maybe mellowed on the technology a bit. Claire, what are about you, you? I think you're probably more bullish on it. Um, I, I wouldn't run out and uh, sign up for like early purchasing or anything, but I, I am interested in watching where the space goes. I'm very interested in augmented reality, both visual augmented reality, but also auditory augmented reality experiences. Um, there is a company called North. Have you heard of North Vocals? Uh, I don't think so. They, they produce some um, AR glasses that do very little. You can see like the weather update on that sort of projected on them. You can see who's calling. Um, they have a voice integration. And I went to the store, the retail space in Brooklyn to check it out. You get 
outfitted for them. It's a really interesting experience. They do a 3D scan of your face to get you properly, properly sized up. Um, last I checked, they were $1,000, which is a little steep for um, seeing the weather projected on the frame of your uh, glasses screen. But um, it's interesting to see how um, they really are becoming consumer products and um, will obviously evolve and get better and more robust. And I think um, figuring out how to make that added layer of information unobtrusive and only um, surface relevant information when it adds value and, and doesn't distract from regular life is going to be a real challenge. So we'll see how um, any of the companies that are getting into that space deal with it. Mm. I can see how that'd be useful if if you if you wear glasses. I can see that being a, a, a ripe kind of market for people to to experiment with um, because you're already comfortable with it. It's already something that you do every day. And so there's no real change there. Whereas these ones, these Apple glass ones, uh, as far as we can see, are not going to have sunglasses. So they'll just be plain, you know, transparent glass. You can get a prescription with them. So if you do wear glasses, you can get your prescription with them. Um, but you know, if if you don't wear glasses and they're not sunglasses, they then sort of stop having a practical baseline foundational use. And therefore, the, the only use is the addition, which is the augmented reality or the voice control or whatever it might be. And so that's kind of a stumbling block I can see for me personally in, in doing it is that <clears throat> if there were sunglasses, maybe, but then how often do I actually wear sunglasses? Uh, I live in the UK. Very rarely <laughs> do you need sunglasses. Um but uh, yeah, I think it's an interesting concept. It's an interesting concept. I'm just, I'm just not sure. But I, I think this all the time about certain things that don't necessarily apply to me. But the world isn't me, and there is far more people that might find this stuff uh, applicable to them, might be useful for them. And so yeah, it'd be interesting to, uh, interesting to see. Definitely. Yeah, I just looked up the Focus. I looked up the Focus website, Claire, and it was interesting that you controlled by ring as well, which, which I yeah. found pretty interesting. It's a, it's like a plastic um, ring that's a little bit clunky, but I could see how if you're in a place where you don't want to use your voice, sort of like what we were speaking about earlier um, with the subvocalization, a ring or some other way of controlling might be useful. It's, it does seem like they also just released their 2.0, so maybe it's a lot more robust and, um, and interesting. They're very stylish, so I'll give them that. Cool. Well, we are just about out of time, and uh, it's been a pleasure once again. I think we've uh, we've got through some interesting stories there. It's interesting how the space is kind of how it's moving, and and technologies seem to be converging a little bit. You know, it's like voice interface, gesture recognition, hearables, wearables, sunglasses. You know, like it's, it all seems to be kind of bubbling up, um, and it'd be interesting to see to see kind of how it goes so yeah any final thoughts from you Dustin I don't think so this has been a great one looking forward to the next any final thoughts from you Claire very interesting as always cool well thank you all for joining us and uh, we'll see you again next Thursday similar kind of time on LinkedIn live and YouTube live as always thank you for joining us and see you later <laughs>